Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Bullseye Podcast. In this podcast, we'll be covering current affairs, pop culture topics, and trending technology news. Periodically, I'll be meeting with people to discuss their personal stories of hardship and success. For any topics that we cover, or any guests that we have on our show, you'll find the bios and any other resources available. I'll make sure that they're posted with the podcast recording so that you can make use of them. In this podcast, I was supposed to be having a conversation with Kim Lewis, And unfortunately, I ran into a slight issue with my recording. What ended up happening was I have all of her recording and all of her responses to the different topics that I brought up. And so what I'm going to have to do, I think, here moving forward is just basically post-record and then play her pre-recorded information. And uh, further to this, some of this pre-recorded information might be out of date by the time you're listening to this, so keep that in mind as well. I apologize that my first uh, real kind of formal podcast didn't go according to plan, but I suppose that's what happens when you're starting out. Technology can always slap you in the face when you're not expecting it. First things first, tell me about Kim Lewis. I'm Kim Lewis. I'm the Director of Communications and Mental Health Promotion at the Canadian Mental Health Association in Windsor and Essex County. I've been doing communications, fundraising, and marketing for about 20 years plus. And I started a podcast in January 2020 called Casey Keeping It Real that focuses on pop culture, current events, timely news and information. It's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot and it's always a great opportunity to learn more and uh, challenge yourself. And that's definitely what I have experienced with uh, the podcast. So it's been a lot of fun. And now I get to sometimes be guests on other podcasts, which is uh, really cool. So there's some COVID fatigue. And uh, previously you had commented on getting back to the resemblance of our former lives. How will COVID change the workplace or the classroom and society? And How is mental health affecting people during COVID now compared to a year ago? And would you say it's at all worrisome when speaking about the different vaccines and some of the trustworthiness or worrisome that comes behind having a vaccination available and then not, for example, the AstraZeneca? I think it is worrisome that there have been some of these red flags about this particular vaccine. The last I heard is at one point they weren't going to use it on individuals older older than 80. And then subsequent to that, it's they said it wasn't good for people under the age of, I think it was 55, particularly women. I guess that leaves, what, 55 to 80 that you could potentially use this vaccine with. It's it's so hard. And I think this is one of the things about COVID is the distrust of government and authorities because they'll tell us one thing and then a couple weeks later, it's the complete opposite. So I'm thinking back to the early days with masks that Dr. Tam would go on and say, oh no, we don't need masks. It, It doesn't travel like that. And then two weeks later, everyone wear a mask. And then similar to the vaccine rollout that you're told if you have the opportunity to get a vaccine, 
just get it. It's, it's in the end, it, it's worthwhile. It'll save your life. It could save individuals around you. And then now, yeah, I, it doesn't help when there's already so much vaccine hesitancy that they're one of the vaccines that's being offered in certain parts of the country has all this mixed messaging. It's you couldn't probably write a better case study of something in, in business or, or marketing or, or science of how not to do something, I'm sure. I think it's a lot of distrust, misinformation. And then I also think that for the most part in Canada, it's we've started with the elderly population in addition to healthcare workers and some others. And they've made it very technology-based, first of all. So to even register to get your vaccination can be somewhat cumbersome for an 80 or 90-year-old. And then, like I said, there's been so much mixed messaging of, who can sign up where, for what, how. So I know that where I live, and I just was reading t earlier today in the Toronto area, there's so many of these appointments that are going unfilled. And I think that's for all of those reasons, that there's distrust, there's confusion, and a lot of mixed messaging. So it's like the perfect storm of what not to do. And that's terrible. It leads me to the whole conversation about you know, how it's impacted the elderly or the long-term care facilities and some of these factories or workplaces, some of the farms, some of our immigrant workers that are probably some of the more vulnerable that really need this vaccination quicker. And Canada just isn't doing a very good job at getting vaccinations into people's arms. Canada is, I think, rate, rated worst in the world for the number of deaths we had out of long-term care homes. So certainly I understand the priority to provide vaccines to the elder, like our elder, most elder populations. But if you take a step back, those a lot of those individuals, when I'm talking about living in the senior's home or long-term care, they are very isolated. Like they're not the ones out and about in society, in the community, in these factories or workplaces. So I know people at the time said to me, that's all great, but they're not probably the ones spreading COVID the most. So I think it's problematic that way. But I think the broader problem is that we just didn't have a great supply chain of vaccine from the get-go. So the le leaders and politicians and scientists had to make these choices that were really no-win situations because if you prioritize one over the other, you're going to face the consequences. And here we are in wave three. And I think, wasn't it Einstein that said the something to the effect of stupidity was doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? I think we should take a look more at perhaps Australia, New Zealand, some of the Asian countries, I believe, where they did a lockdown. There weren't exclusions. Everyone went into lockdown for whatever, two, three weeks. And yeah, that's an, those are enormous sacrifices. But today, they are much better off, far fewer deaths than what we're experiencing here. So I think no one wants a lockdown. Me, like, I'm at the front of that line. Please. It would have been nice had at least Ontario taken a better earlier response and shut down or did a stay-at-home order for longer instead of these roller coasters, ups and downs, ins and outs, and confusions and terrible policies that seem to change every day. I would rather we do it right 
and for it to be effective and not have to go on these ongoing roller coasters, which really just don't really solve the problem. They may ease some pressures for a short time, but yeah, it's just, and in the end, it's more detrimental. What do you think about the whole working from home? Is this something that you've been able to do? Have you been able to strive? Do you know of people who have, you know, had challenges or have struggled? I am fortunate that my workplace is is open because we, we have been deemed essential since the beginning of all this. So I am able to, like I said, go into work and uh, yeah, we have all the proper protocol and safety in place. But I do get to see some colleagues that has really been a game changer, I think, for myself when I have had to work at home for a couple of weeks here and there. I, I find it very isolating, hard to connect, not as as productive in some ways. Like for me, I really thrive off that interaction with people. I'm fortunate that I have that. I know a lot of people don't. So I've always said from the beginning, do what you can. Like now isn't the time to not try to reach out to your family and your friends. So luckily, I mean, we do have great technology today. So whether that's a phone or FaceTiming someone or whatever the case might be. And now we're a little luckier if it's all perspective at this point but at least when there's nice weather we are able to go outside and and see people from a distance and then I think it's also really important to take time for self-care right now so taking some time each day to you know look at those things to express your gratitude for of making some goals and just doing what makes you feel good and brings you some peace and and well-being but I'm not saying any of those things are easy. They're challenging. We're not used to this. We're humans. We're used to being social creatures. But so those are some things that I would suggest that we should continue to do through all of this. We're lucky to have technology, most of us in some way, shape or form. And yeah, we're not all extroverts. Some people on the flip side of this, Chris, I do know people that have mental health challenges. And they say that in for them, this has been a, a great year and all things considered. Considered. In that if you have any type of social anxieties or peer pressure or bullying, and this has allowed you to take a step back and not have those pressures, your mental health has improved over this year. So I think it, it's, it can be two sides. And, and then for others that are not as comfortable reaching out, but still do want those forms of connection, there's lots of apps or programs that are available online that do provide you with those places to connect if you're interested in doing so. If you don't mind, where can people go for maybe some information about coping or helping other people in their circle? If you visit windsoressex.cmha.ca, there are tons of resources. In particular, if you go to the COVID tab, then we've been adding to that over the last year. So there's a lot. Yeah. I think the most challenging part about this whole lockdown is some of the people who might be in domestic violence situations or maybe children who use school as a getaway from abuse at home. I think it's even harder when the schools are closed, particularly elementary, because I know that the teachers are oftentimes those who can identify when there might be some issues that they think might be happening in, in the home. And when schools are, of course, locked down, then those connections aren't happening. And then for women, yeah, I, I 
totally understand and how horrific that home is not always uh, a happy, safe place for everyone, that it can be uh, dangerous, scary, and just an unhappy. And yeah, like I said earlier, that there are certainly ways to reach out, but it's not always possible to do. I do know, talking with police and EMS, that the number of calls that they've had over the last year have been a lot of domestic situations and in some places that those are the highest volume that they've, they've had over the last year. I guess the good part of that is that someone is calling attention to those situations and rather than it, it ending pretty ugly. But definitely one of the most challenging parts of this pandemic. I think we all have a responsibility if we see something or someone acting out of sorts or you're just noticing a change in behavior or whatever those warning signs might be that we do, like you said, speak up and, and ask the question and, and try to get them to, to talk to you. All right. So let's take a break from COVID because as we all know, this can be depressing and it's probably a topic that is over talked about by now. Moving into some of the women issues that I wanted to talk about, specifically about workplace inequalities and whether or not you see any kind of shifting happening within your industry or other industries and how that might be affecting things. Yes, I do actually. I do see that shift happening, which is great. We, you know, we've seen more men. We've seen people from different ethnic backgrounds and, and different ages too. So it really is encouraging to see that happening. I think we've been at trying to to crack the glass ceiling for decades, and there are slow strides being made. But I think it's more profound in some industries compared to others like Bay Street and Wall Street and all of that good stuff. I would hazard to guess are still largely white males. I think in social sectors, there are perhaps more females. But I think the other part is, are, are we allowing the opportunities for women or other ethnicities or minorities to want to apply or to be in the position to apply or get that promotion. Like, I think we have to look at a more granular level too, that we're providing the opportunities, the education, the training, I think even in schools with their guidance counselors, showcasing to, to women what their options are for their future. Because we know for a long time, for example, women or girls weren't highly encouraged in the sciences or math. So I think that the shift has to happen even before you get into the workplace. And, and I do see that happening. I know there's now a lot of women in STEM programs happening in high schools and, and uh, colleges and universities. And just, yeah, I, I do see the opportunities for women expanding but uh, still a lot of growth to happen it's going to take certainly some time to get there and hindsight is 2020 you look back at something and you think yeah how could we have been dumb and naive to think that this could work and, and be effective you do see some small wins and i i don't know i feel like too over the last couple years from like me to just all the racial inequalities and tensions and such that happened over the last year that we just seem to be at a point where enough is enough and let's address some of these inequalities or things that are happening and really work hard to move the needle. Uh, so talking about some shifts, most recently one of the things I read was that LinkedIn 
added the ability to have stay at home mom as a recent experience that you could add to your uh, quote unquote resume. What are your thoughts on that and LinkedIn as a whole? I know people that are huge fans and I don't ever feel like I've used it to its potential, but I have had effective interactions and like you said, networking. And uh, I think it's a great space for what it does. And yeah, I think it's cool that they're broadening their their scope and uh, as they should. Right. I know when I had my daughter, as much as I, I hated to go back to work after having been home with her, at the same time, I was like, oh, this is actually going to be easier than being at home all the time. Like it was for me that it was, and a lot of others, it's, it is, it's hard work and does not receive the credit it should. Going back decades, there were those blatant contrasts in how they would, might market to, to their demographic. But I think as there's been more acceptance across the board of LGBTQ and all transgender and what have you, that they have to expand their horizons. And maybe with that comes a little bit more contrast or more similarities in, in how they, they market to some of those, those audiences. Okay, so moving on a little bit, but still maintaining the subject of women issues, the pink tax, do you think it exists? And if so, do you have any real life examples? I think it, it depends, but you also have to compare apples to apples, not apples to oranges. So I can certainly appreciate that there would be a higher percentage of women than men that had more sophisticated things they wanted done to their hair in terms of cut and coloring and styling that it's more there's more product involved there's more labor it's more time so i can appreciate that it could be somewhat more but i think there are places that certainly take advantage of that and and they could probably defend it by saying it's the atmosphere that they create the reputation you're coming to the best whatever the case may case might be i think that it, it probably across the board is pretty comparable. It's that there are people who make these products make can then add the all the oohs and ahs and bells and whistles and women are more prone to buy into that than men. I yeah, I think you could say this deodorant does whatever plus there's anti-aging elements in it, and this is going to be $10 as opposed to 3 That being said, I, there are certainly a lot of men that would buy into some of this marketing as well. And I don't want to say it's totally 50-50, just as there's a lot of women that wouldn't be care as much too. But I think by and large, you could say that as a general rule. If you're just looking for the basics, you'll find, yeah, it's in the drugstore and it, the men's is probably the same price. Okay. So finally, I wanted to bring up a couple of other entertainment topics. Uh, the first one was the Britney Spears documentary, followed by the Demi Lovato documentary. I think what's interesting is just that these stories are coming out now that these frank and very honest assessments of some of these situations like Britney, Demi, like Woody Allen and Mia Farrow. And it has, it certainly is interesting to look at how time, how you perceive something. So what we 
thought was okay in 1990, we look back now with Paul and say, how could we have been so stupid? That's what I think is really fascinating, is that they take that step back and, and look at the situation. It's interesting times for sure that just how perspective changes and, and sometimes you can say, yeah, absolutely. And other times you're like, huh, I don't know how I feel about that. So it's, I think, caused some discomfort for everyone. It's fascinating, but she's one of those people that from the get-go, you you couldn't not pay attention to her. She just had that aura. She was a, a star. And and then she was like was very successful. And then I think it's probably the connection that we've formed with her just all of her life and those her meltdown and everything was played out in front of cameras so i think people cared about her and what was happening and and also it was some people took pleasure in that unfortunately as well and and then yeah and then people took advantage of her on the other side, family and managers and, and such. So they wanted her to obviously keep working and to bring in the money. And yeah, I think she went away, but then just as time has shifted, she's just continued to have some relevancy. And yeah, like she, she did her Vegas show. I think certainly if, if, you're depending on the severity of your addiction and and the impact it's having on your life that in it would be the hope that you would get that out of your life but there's people like demi that think they can moderate and finally i brought up earlier about frederick eckland who's the million dollar listing new york i think he moved to la there was an article or a, a news article about him doing 160 days sober and in that he quoted himself as saying i was a high functional addict would you say that he's taking ownership of his addiction or just justifying and how does that relate to some of the everyday people who struggle with addiction so although, yes, you would like to see someone cut that off, it's not always the reality that that's going to happen. There are programs for both that over time, as you've seen that someone cutting someone cold turkey can have other negative outcomes and such. In some scenarios, it might be better that it was that slow process and but have supports in place for both of those scenarios. And I think that's there's probably a, a lot of individuals that's the case for. I would think that there's a certain amount of denial happening. But again, it's there's definitely a lot of people that get used to that and that's their state of being and they can get by. But at some point, it's I think that it's going to have its faults for them and, and they're going to find that the functioning doesn't continue at, a, at such a, a level as it did before. This has been great. And I cannot thank you enough for uh, being a part of my very first official podcast. You have at least 40 plus podcast episodes out now. So why don't you tell us what your web address is and where can we find your podcasts so that uh, we can listen? kckeepingitreal.com or it's uh, you can find it on um, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Episode off with besides mental health, what topic or hobby are you most passionate about? Well, it's award season and uh, being a movie and, and film lover, it's almost the Oscar time. So I have a couple episodes coming up looking at some award winners of past as well as what's happening this year. So just fun. 
Okay, so where can uh, people find you or follow you to get more information? And of course, if possible, donate to one of your uh, favorite causes. Follow uh, CMHA, W-E-C-B on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We'll always post what's happening on those platforms. So uh, check us out, windsoressex.cmha.ca.